0: This episode of The Envelope Podcast is supported by Universal Pictures' Oppenheimer, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. The Washington Post calls it a masterpiece. Oppenheimer is now nominated for 13 Academy Awards, including Best Director, Christopher Nolan, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Picture of the Year.
1: Welcome to The Envelope Podcast. I'm Mark Olson.
2: I'm Yvonne Villarreal.
1: I'm Sean Finney and now this is the first time the three of us have been together again since the Oscar nominations happened and you know Sean this kind of phase 2 the sort of post nominations period To you, is this like an exciting part of the year or do you feel like the air starts going out of the
0: balloon now? I think it's an exciting time of the year because, I mean, there's two different phases. There's nominations where each branch, so the actors vote on actors, writers vote on writers, and then now it opens up to the entire membership. So I think with the membership growing exponentially, it's like at 11,000 now. It's the most global it's ever been. I feel like the new voices, we're starting to see that in Best Picture um, and really just the nominations alone. And I'm excited. I think it's a surprising time. Anything can happen.
2: It's a lot of screeners to get through though, right?
0: Yes, it is a lot of screeners to get through. And now Yvonne, you and I were actually at the Oscar nominees luncheon. You all were at the nominee luncheon, which is one of my favorite events. Yvonne, who did you speak to?
2: Well, I didn't actually go inside the luncheon, I felt I was very (laughs) excluded from the cool kids table there. But yes, Mark and I had a room uh, where we were sort of doing interviews when we could get them. And I spoke with cinematographer Rodrigo Prieto and it was amazing because when you talk about someone that can really mix it up, here you went from doing the cinematography for a film like Barbie, which is so, you know, opulent and popped with color. And then he went to something like The Killers of the Flower Moon, which is so stark and haunting. So it was nice to talk to him about, you know, switching things up and also just his collaboration with Martin Scorsese. This is their fourth film together. And The Killers of the Flower Moon is what he's up for as a nominee. So I really enjoyed our conversation. But you, I heard, got like somebody that has delivered so many of the songs of our lives and but you didn't sing, though?
0: I spoke to the Diane Warren. Her 15th nomination, she already has an honorary Oscar at home, she says the Oscar is lonely, so she's going for it again, which I'm super excited about. She's the only nomination from the film, directed by Eva Longoria, flaming hot. And I don't know, Diane talks to me about her process, about her life, but also just about why she still does what she does. And you know, you think about a nomination 15 times, what that takes from her very first one. And she's still just as excited she was i don't know if you saw the video but she posted on her social where she's up and she's walking through her whole process she's like i don't sleep i get up i'm nervous i'm shaking and i'm like wow after it still means so much so i love
2: but you didn't have her make a theme song for this podcast. That's a missed opportunity. Do you know what that
0: would cost? I have failed <laughs> I have failed us. You know I'm gonna call it a favor later, but she did sing acoustic. She sung to me the song acoustic and I was like, I was trying to be cool on camera and not ugly cry. We yeah, talked yeah, about yeah, this yeah. before. Yeah. But I was like, it's cool, Diane. Well this is this is really cool. This is really cool tonight. So, no, it was amazing. But you spoke to another dynamic force, Justine Trier. Exactly, yeah uh, so Justine Trier, she's the director and co-writer of Anatomy of a fall.
1: You know, she's been nominated for directing, for the screenplay, and then the film has been nominated for Best Picture. And she had won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, she's one of only a few women who's won that prize. And, you know, the, she's been kind of like on the rise in France over the past few years. This is actually her fourth feature film, but, you know, it's relatively unknown here in the States. And so the way that she's just kind of broken through with this film, it's, you know, it's a, a kind of an exciting courtroom thriller, so it's like a great combination of both like a, a a courtroom drama that sort of like American audiences can understand, but it has also like, it's set in, in France and so there's something kind of like exciting about it as and different about it too. It's just been really exciting to see her sort of like, you know, shine in the spotlight this, this season.
2: Look, this is a really fun episode for us. We got three great conversations to bring you. Stay tuned, coming up next is my interview with Rodrigo. Rodrigo, thanks so much for joining us.
3: My pleasure, thank you.
2: Well, I know um, Killers of the Flower Moon was the fourth film that you've done with Martin since 2013's Wolf of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And I know Raging Bull was such a seminal film for you, so I'm curious, what do you remember about that first ever meeting with Martin? Like, if you were recreating the moment for a movie of your life, set up the shot for me.
3: I think this scene, it's a good question, I think the scene would start with the little figure of Hugo, the little robot, because that's in his living room. And I remember sitting there, waiting for him, and, and the robot, Hugo's robot, was there. And so we, I felt like, like the robot, you know, a little awkward and a little oh. stiff, maybe. <laughs> and, um, but immediately, as soon as Scorsese came into the room, the warmth came in with him. He was uh, very charming, mm-hmm. disarming. And uh, I just felt at ease, you know. And it's also the kind of thing where you have really nothing to lose because, you know, I didn't expect to be, you know, making movies with Martin Scorsese. It wasn't something like, yeah, that's one thing I'm gonna do. It. That's a goal, you know. So, uh, so I had nothing to lose. But I think, yeah, the scene would would be, I think the the lighting would be soft. Um, it wouldn't be warm, the li- the color of the light, but it'd be soft and and easy. Okay. And uh, But the actor that plays me, I would direct him to be a little nervous and maybe say a couple of bad jokes, you know? <laughs> That's sort of what I'd do.
2: Did you say bad jokes?
3: I'm sure I did. <laughs> I don't remember. But, uh.
2: Fast forward to Killers of the Flower Moon. How has that dynamic evolved between you two? I'm sure there's still nerves, but the shorthand or the comfortability, like... And when you're first meeting for something like this project, do you dive right in or is it sort of like we ease our way into this?
3: Well, you know, every movie has been very different just thematically, but also the way we've approached it and how we've uh, come up with the visual ideas. Mm -hmm. Killers of the Flower Moon was um, a film that required very deep research. Mm -hmm. All of us involved in the production really didn't know much about the Osage or really anybody, Mm -hmm. so we listened that was the main thing and and I observed how Scorsese was so deeply involved in in learning Mm -hmm. so I said I'm gonna do the same thing and and and, uh, asked questions and for me it was learning how uh, the osage relate to their surroundings and to light Mm -hmm. and that was an important thing that I actually incorporated into scenes with them the sunlight Mm -hmm. where the sunlight is the position of the sun photographing the sun you know Mm -hmm. things of that sort so um, and and it was a long process of experimentation with mm-hmm. Scorsese, we we tested many things uh, visually and came up with a design very little by little and there it is.
2: How is it in the moment working through something with him, like is he saying, okay, I'm going to be like, let's block this, I'm going to be Ernest, you're going to be Molly, does it go in that deep or what is the process like? Yeah,
3: yeah, I played Molly most of the time with him and... <laughs> <laughs> you play Ernest, no. Um, um he, he designs the shots during pre-production. Mm-hmm. Uh, he separates himself from the day-to-day moments of production for at least a week, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe more, sometimes two weeks. He sits down by himself in the hotel room and, and uh, plots the shots. Uh, it, on the script itself, he does annotations and sometimes little diagrams or drawings, and then he'll share that with myself and with the assistant director. Uh, that's kind of the first step of it becomes my Bible in terms of what we're gonna do on each scene shot wise. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's up to me then to define the focal length you know and and the background and you know the angles but it's all based on his design Mm -hmm. and uh, and then on set he really is very open to what the actors are are feeling and saying and doing and we always respect that and and if if an actor has an idea that maybe wasn't what we planned usually we'll do what the actor is 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 feeling he's very flexible in that sense open to improvisation or new dialogue or you know whatever happens and I think some of the most powerful moments in his movies are come from that and and this this wasn't the exception there are things in the film that I love and we weren't planning on it, and then, you know, we went that way, and, and there it is.
2: Can you give me an example of one that stands out to you, or that you really were like, I don't know about this, but it turned out to
3: Yes. Be. Yeah, Well yes. me. Well, uh, there, there's a, the moment after the explosion of, of Rita and Bill's house, uh, we go back to the house. Ernest now is going to deliver the news of what happened. He knew that something like this was going to happen, but he didn't expect the extent of it, and, and now he's he's really feeling the confusion and the guilt. So the shot that Scorsese had designed was going in th- through the doorway and th- in the porch, you know, going into the house and finding the family, finding Molly and 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 the kids and the nanny and and maybe in the living room. Right. So I prepared for that. I lit that. And I lit the living room, the dining room, you know, the and and so we're when we're getting ready for it. Uh, He asks, uh, he he actually, you know, Ernest was there, Molly, and everybody was there. He asked her, so where would you be, Molly? You know, in this case, we use the names of the characters. And she said, I'd I'd probably be in a basement. And we pivoted, and that became the shot. So now we go into the house, through the living room, dining room, into the kitchen, and the door opens, and we see down the stairs into the basement and it became a very powerful image Mm -hmm. it 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 just uh, just composition wise seeing her down there and the depth of that and 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 also the feeling of vulnerability and the the, you know them being in this refuge and then seeing Ernest up there deliver it became very powerful and and that was it just came out of 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 what she was feeling at the moment
2: is there a tell when martin is like I like where this is going. Does he have a quirk that lets you know we're on to something?
3: Yeah, I mean it's just an energy, right? That, that you, you have a feeling that that he's in the zone,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and lots of times it'll be his laughter. I mean, certainly not in that scene that mm-hmm. I just described, but um, but when he laughs, you know that he's happy, okay. <laughs> you know, and that things are are working, and, and you know, and he relaxes and and. Uh, it, it's pretty wonderful when that starts happening. I mean, certainly there was a lot of laughter on Wolf of Wall Street. Right, right, know? right. But there was also tension, you know, there were, every day in the morning, especially, we're all like, what's going to happen today? And And once it starts flowing, then he laughs.
2: I imagine there's a lot of intimacy that develops between you and the actors because you're watching their performances in such, like, a close way. It's private and intimate what you're seeing. I'm curious, like seeing someone like Robert and Leonardo through the years, or even Lily for the first time, what struck you in sort of seeing their performances so closely?
3: Yeah, certainly with the, the, DiCaprio and De Niro, we've done other projects beforehand and and, and seeing their transformation. First of all, the physical transformation mm-hmm. was startling. Of course, we shot tests and, you know, you kind of know what's going to happen roughly. Yeah. But then on set, when the environment is there and the production design lighting it, it's it's pretty amazing and also to witness their process how they mm-hmm. get into the characters is is fascinating and how it starts building you know and 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 with lily it was i didn't know her mm-hmm. and uh to find what molly became and see her also find that and it really transformed the way we photographed her even mm-hmm. um we we uh, realized how she was a center of gravity of all this, the, just the way she was doing it. Mm-hmm. So we started framing her more centered, literally more, more symmetrical frames. And, and um, you know, it, it wasn't really planned that way, but that's the way it evolved, mm-hmm. just responding from her performance.
2: What's it like watching Robert in action as somebody that really admired something like Raging Bull? Yes. Is it, are you still like Mr. De Niro or do you have, like, do you feel a comfortability there?
3: Still Mr. not hear. but, but uh, no, I, I feel uh, definitely a, a level of comfort. Um, and, and, you know, we've also coincided in some of the Q&As yeah, and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And uh, I mean, it's, it's still to me amazing to be friendly with these people that, that have been my heroes for so long. In fact, when we were uh, doing The Irishman, it was my birthday, and my wife, she got a poster of Raging Bull. And had, it, had them all sign it and Pesci and De Niro. And, the, you know, it, it was really, so it's a one of my treasured belongings.
2: Well, something that's so impressive about the work that you do is you can go from something that's, you know, stark and haunting like Killers of the Flower Moon to something that's so excessive and bright and vibrant like Barbie. Is the contrast of that something that you really like sort of exploring, or is it jarring to go from something like that to something like that?
3: Well, I think that it's like in life itself. Mm-hmm. There's so many different emotions that we go through, so diff- so many different moments. Mm-hmm. And I love being able to explore that through cinema as well. Mm-hmm. We can be very sad one moment and joyful and laughing even the next moment. and. Right. And having the opportunity to work with these incredible directors and, and photograph such diverse worlds and points of view also. And, and, and for me, getting to understand or trying to understand how a director sees this story that, that we're working on and, and then me becoming those eyes in a way and how do I translate the way they see it or the way I understand that they're seeing it mm-hmm. to the screen. You know, it's kind of my responsibility to put everybody's work onto the screen. So uh, um, I really actually enjoy it very much doing different genres and jumping from one thing to something radically different. What
2: was the gap between those? Is it hard, is it hard to transition out of one to the other or does it sort of reset right away?
3: It was pretty immediate. Uh, I was in Killers of the Flare Moon and some of the weekends before we started shooting I was doing Zooms with Greta Gerwig and to, you know, talking about the look of it. So I had to switch to that I had to uh, you know because I was so obviously in uh-huh. Osage country and you know and, and then suddenly okay so what does Barbie line look like you know so it, it was a little jarring and finally I had to tell Greta okay now we have to stop talking about Barbie and I'm I'm sorry I have to concentrate on this and you'll see when I'm doing Barbie that's all that's going to be in my mind and but right now it's killer environment so uh yeah and then I finished that and almost immediately I think flew to London to start prepping barbie and uh it, it 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 felt easy actually you know because i already had it sort of thought out and yeah. then going into it it was just i don't know and it, it's been that way in most of my career and i guess i'm kind of used to it too
2: does the, a collaboration with greta feel any different than a collaboration with martin how are they similar or different in the in their work process
3: yeah it's very different every director has a complete different mm-hmm. set of even dogmas if you may or, or things that have to be a certain way and I love navigating that um, I think the common part of the, both of them is, is just the joy and love of cinema in general they love movies and uh, they also love making movies mm-hmm. so uh, that's that makes the work very enjoyable because you know that it's not just work you know it's not something that okay I'm going to get paid for this as a job you know it's something that they're passionate about, and um, I feel very fortunate to work with them. Uh, also, there's just this thing about noise that's very different. Scorsese is very sensitive to noise, Ooh. so especially in the morning when he arrives, things have to be quiet so that he can cons- concentrate, okay. you know, talk with the actors look at the monitor, everybody has to be totally quiet. Okay. And Greta's the opposite, she likes noise. She actually likes it. She, she's told me that when she's writing, for example, she has to be in a cafeteria or in a place where there's noise. Uh-huh. And, that way she can concentrate. So it's really interesting how it's, and, and both ways work. You right. know, it's fine.
2: How are you as a director? You, you, you've you just done your first feature film. Talk to me about that and, and what you discovered about yourself as a director and also how you collaborate with a cinematographer. Yeah.
3: Well, uh, I discovered that I'm pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, but I do bring some, many of the things that, that I've, I've learned from all the directors that I've worked with, uh, unconsciously, even, mm-hmm. uh, some of the shot design ideas and some of the explorations I've done before with other directors. In fact, I showed a, a cut of, of the film, Pedro Paramo was a mm-hmm. title to Scorsese the other day. And that was scary, but I <laughs> was
0: going to say, yeah, uh-huh.
3: but he, he enjoyed it and, and I suddenly said i didn't even mention to him there's some shots in the movie that are certainly inspired on things that that he's done or that you know and they're homages to so i asked him did he and he, he didn't even like oh what he didn't realize you know <laughs> he was involved in the film and uh-huh. and but but he gave me some very very specific editorial notes which were awesome like oh you should keep this shot 20 frames longer uh-huh. things like that and and uh, so i did it <laughs> of course
2: before i let you go i know Film for you was something that took hold at a very early age with monster films and and you and your brother creating stuff. I'm curious, can you tell me what's the, like, can you still picture that image that first captured your attention on film?
3: The skeleton fight and Jason and the Argonauts. You'll have to look it up. Okay, I'm going to. <laughs> it's incredible. Okay. And, and that for me was just magic and cinema. And I knew, as even as a child, how they did it because i was already doing you know Uh clay monsters and stop motion and it was stop motion i kind of knew rear screen projection you know how do they put these skeletons with the people and you know it was just magical
2: i love that well rodrigo thanks so much for taking the time it was a pleasure speaking with you likewise
3: thank you so much
2: coming up after the break sean's interview with diane warren
0: Welcome to The Envelope, my name is Sean Finney and today's guest is THE Diane Warren. She is a pioneer of music and architect of music, film and cinema and culture and someone I love very, very much. Fifteen nominations, seven consecutive years and this year she is nominated for her song Fire Inside from Flaming Hot. Welcome Diane Warren.
5: Great to see you Sean. I'm a pioneer, so though? A pioneer. I came in a covered wagon. No, you, and, you are know, a pioneer. With a, with a keyboard You're and making a it
0: happen. You're making <laughs> it happen, Diane. But Diane, you know, when we think about these big stats and the, all of these records and history that you've made and broken, it can't yeah. think about that without young Diane. It I feel.
5: I still feel like I'm young, Diane. No, you are young, Diane. You know, but I, young I, Diane and Van Nuys up.
0: growing up. Right. Like, right. what do? All, what does all of this mean now for you? Like, Diane, who was watching the Oscars with yeah. her family. With Diane, who Dad, was watching what, yeah. Born Free and seeing a film yeah. for the first time. Like, yeah. talk to me about that.
5: I mean, the fact that that I that that I was that kid, like every year watching it and, and crying when I saw it, heard songs and movies like Born Free and and the fact that. This is what I. This was my dream to to be a songwriter. Like I didn't know anybody. I'm from Van Nuys. My dad sold insurance. You know. I mean, but it's like it's kind of cool the songs this year with with the fire inside because it is the fire inside that drives you. And I had that from an early age that I had that fire to to. You know, to, to be a songwriter and, and to succeed in it and to be great in it. And it wasn't just a dream that I, I worked my ass off. I just, every day, you know, I became, when I was about 14, I, I was like, I'm not doing anything else. I mean, I got, you know, straight D's and F's in school <laughs> until a, th- there's a guitar out there, a 12 string guitar, that my dad bribed me with that if I got nothing less than C's, he'd get me a Martin 12 string guitar. I did get that and I did get nothing less than a C and right back to F's and <laughs> D's right after that but I got my guitar it was all good. And I, ju- I just put in the work and you know I I would read Billboard every day, you know, every week. You know, I made mean, my dad get me a subscription, you know. So it was always about music and songs and 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 I always loved movies, so it's such a natural thing to do. When
0: did you understand the, the music and the business and film, that intersection between?
5: I don't know if I ever <laughs> understood it, just <laughs> something that that kind of happened, you know? Um, like my first nominated song was a movie called Mannequin, you know, about a guy who basically f***s a mannequin, let's be real. Um, <laughs> but it was a, it's one of those guilty pleasures, but yep. you know. And it was kind of cool to, 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 you know, to write that. Well, actually, my first hit, really, was Rhythm of the Night, (sighs) which was from Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Yep, So So my first big hit happened to be from a movie. So it, it kind of did all kind of come together. And then I realized, you know, I was good at it. You know, my dad um, said he'd put me through, co- you know, uh, support me if I went to college. So I went to Cal State Northridge, and I took nothing but film classes because I could just watch movies. I wouldn't have to do anything. Yeah. So I wasn't really a music major. I would just break into the piano rooms and teach myself piano, but I would watch all these movies, and then maybe subliminally, you know, that kind of taught me because I was hearing songs, I was hearing music, and I had to sit there, you know, and. You know what I mean? So it kind of like, I think I was prepared. A lot of this is, is it's a it's dream meets the work meets the preparation, yeah. you know? And then you create, you know, yourself. You create your own luck from that. I, I truly believe that. You know. And
0: and one thing you've always not been shy about is just talking about the hard work. Oh yeah. people are just like, I, you're like it's hard work, I'm it's of I'm the hardest worker songs. that I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
5: <laughs> like, I, I show up, you know, I'm there at nine o'clock. I, I go to work every day. You know, I try to take part of Sunday off, you know? But and I love I love my job so it's not like I hate going to work. You know, and you're I, I moved lo- by
0: inspiration. Oh yeah. When
5: you feel it. Yeah. I'm, I was working on a song right before I got here. <laughs> and I'm on the bridge of the song and I have to get go back to it after. But yeah, I love I love it. I love. Cre- it's like you you have a puzzle. You have to. Mm-hmm. It's like when you start a song, there's the perfect version of that song. You just have to find it. You know, and that's kind of the fun. And
0: what I love, Diane, is that I know that like when people think, oh, nominated 15 times, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, so this probably doesn't even excite you anymore. No, it's the you complete? En- I it for you, no. I know. For you, no. it is still. So, just talk oh to me God. about it now. Still, when it's nominations morning. So,
5: okay. Well, let's we'll talk about nominations. Yes. The night before. Yeah. So, a bunch of my friends come over. Yep. And we just, you know, we just have pizza. Just a bunch of people come <laughs> by, and the crazy ones stay up all night. So I'm like, I don't. I'm not cool enough. i you know, I know people go, yeah, I go to sleep. My, you didn't go to sleep like, like, let's just be, <laughs> keep it real, man. you didn't sleep at all if you're not if you had a potential of being nominated yeah. you were up like I was i'm you know I'm not cool enough to lie so i w- <laughs> I'm up to the um i'm up to i stay up all night mm-hmm. and I'm like so nervous and we're just trying to you know you know okay, let's eat okay let's watch a movie okay let's and then at, when it gets to be about four o'clock it's like oh it's like. Um, it's coming know, it's an, in an hour. Oh, oh no, it's a half hour. Like literally you're <laughs> counting the minutes. <laughs> so it, it I love it I, I and, and honestly for me, that's when I win. Mm. I already won.
0: Talk I, to me about that Because I know you put that in your speech too. I, when you and, said I, and
5: I mean this from my heart. Yeah, okay So there's only four five songs chosen every year. Yep. There's hundreds of songs and movies every year. Yep We're not the Grammys. Oscars are not the Grammys. exactly, you know, you watch the Grammys, you know, you're gonna see You know 30 song categories.
4: Yep.
5: right Oscars have one. Hundreds of songs. If you look to see who's in the music branch of Voters, yep. the best of the best of the best, on the, not in America, but on the planet.
0: In the world, yes. In the yes. world.
5: So they're the best composers, they're the best songwriters, you know, the best music editors. Or the, they're just the, the best at what they do. Yeah. They choose me, they choose my song, I've won. Already. That's respect from people I respect. And that's everything. Now, with my honorary Oscar like a friend? Yeah. He would. He, you know, it's, it kind of bums me out because I'm not enough for him.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like...
0: I mean, I want to talk about that because I know that for you, your process is different for every song, every project, but yeah. specifically talking about Flaming High. When did you know, when do you decide at this point in your career, like, I want to do this, I want to well, jump in this?
4: Well,
5: if it's something that, that I think I can, you know, do something great for, I get yeah. involved. And what it was, I, I, um, uh, Devon Franklin yes. and I worked on Breakthrough. I did the song, I'm Standing With You. And he, I remember him, we were in Nashville with Chrissy Metz, and he, we were in the car, and he goes, Yeah, I'm working on this, this movie about the guy who came up with Flaming Hot Cheetos. I was like, Really? A movie about Flaming? And he goes, No, he, this is a janitor, he told me the whole story. And I was really intrigued. And he goes, I'm trying to get Eva Longoria the job. And then I found out Eva Longoria got the job, and she moved into my building. Oh! So I would see her, i go, So, uh, I want to do the song, I want to do the song. <laughs> She'd go, You know, there's not a script yet, you know, we're still working on it. Okay, tell me when. I, kept, I was kind of annoying her. And stuff, <laughs> and, um, You know And then And then finally There was something to see She goes I really want to show it to you And I saw like a rough cut Of the yeah. movie And I just I just loved it Yeah You know I, mean, I wish it got nominated for more stuff, cause, cause especially with, for Eva. She did such, such a an film. incredible she job. A gra- for this movie, to be her first great. film, like directorial yeah. debut, an incredible it's job. Fantastic. Incredible story. You know, it's interesting that my first nominated song is Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. Yes. And this song, The Fire Inside, basically is Nothing's Gonna Stop Me Now. Yes. Not, nothing's Gonna Stop You Now. Yes. You know, um, when you have that fire. But so, anyways, I, I, I saw the rough cut of the movie and I wrote down the title, The Fire Inside, I thought, like, mm-hmm. that's a really good title. You know, because it's the Flaming double... the yeah, Fire Inside. The Fire Inside you get when you eat them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, the, and then but, uh, but the, what the Fire Inside is, is passion. Mm. That song is about passion. And that's what I took away from this movie that here's somebody that came from nothing. He had everything against him, yeah. you know, and rose to the heights. He rose and created like a multi-billion dollar product by sheer will, will and sheer chutzpah, you know, and I related to him. And so as I'm writing the song for this movie, I'm like... Wow, I'm kind of writing about me too. <laughs> so it was like a really easy song to write. Which I think you is, know?
0: which I think is great because I know you've also said like sometimes every song that you write like is not always about you, right? It's about you. yeah. it's your imagination. Oh, yeah, so yeah. To, this one is so connected to the beginning of your Oscar yeah. journey, yeah. and then to this one. What have yeah. you learned, Diane, about yourself in from that first nomination to 15?
5: I mean, I just learned that no one can stop me, <laughs> <laughs> the, or that when I, when I believe in something, whether it's a, a, so, you know, a song or something like that, my belief is fierce, yeah. it's a fire, I have, the, I have the fire inside, it's what drove me to be successful, it's what drives me every day, I have that. And if you talk to Eva, yeah. she'll go, because she goes, yeah, we're all Richard Yes, we all, we all created you, we're sitting yeah. here, you created yourself, we yeah. all create ourselves, because we have a dream and we have that fire and we work to make it real. So, so this story, you know, back to the movie, this yeah. story really, really touched me. And really, I really related to it. And yes, I'm writing the song for the movie, but as I'm writing the song, I'm going, hmm. You know, <laughs> you know nothing can hold you back, no one can kill your vibe when you got the fire inside. Right, yeah.
6: You see that guy right there?
0: With that Wappo right there, yeah, I see him.
6: Yeah, you do? You see a good man, a special man? Because baby, that's what I see. I see a chingon, a montanez.
4: Yo soy
2: They're scared. Scared of what you can do for them.
4: Scared that they've been begging for help and they got a broke Mexican kid from Guasti as their hero. They don't know what to do with that.
0: Diane, when do you know a song is done?
5: It tells me. It tells Talk me. Talk me through that a little bit. I'm curious. You know, when I'm writing something, you know, a song tells me. I'm rewriting while I'm writing, so I never really go back and, mm-hmm. and change a lot of stuff. And this this song I knew had to be be, be reggaeton. I really wanted it. wasn't going to be the big ballad. It was this song had to move. You know, so I programmed a, a cool drum beat that I, that I loved, and I kind of I kind of came up with that chorus really fast. You know, nothing nothing holds you back. No one can kill your vibe when you got the fire inside. Oh, you're going to own this life when you got the fire inside. You know, I'm like, oh. I got something here, I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, okay, how do I build, how do I get there? So the first line was, oh, you got places to go, you're not going there slow. It's like, okay, get that's that opening it. line. Opening lines are super important mm. to me, you know. And so when you get the song, opening
0: line, it helps you kind of narrate those Yeah, the story. then I
5: knew where I was going. I knew what the story was, but oh, you know, people tell me they wake up to the song. Yes. It's their wake up song, I'm like, yeah. In the I gym. Yeah. It goes hard in the yeah. gym, by that's the what way. I, that's yeah. what I heard, I <laughs> love that, I love that.
0: It goes hard in the gym. And then talk to me about your collaboration with Becky G
5: yeah, so so when I do a song for a movie, I'm a casting director. Mm-hmm. so that that artist has to be obviously authentic to the song. They have to be able to sing it. But she's also authentic to the movie. Yeah. She's also Mexican. yeah, and she also ca- came from nothing. She lived in, you know south l a and became a star because she had the fire inside. Mm-hmm. you know as a, as a kid, she just worked and worked. I wasn't in the studio with Becky until she was done with the vocal. And I remember going to the studio and like being blown away, but there's a couple of notes that, I kind of wanted to change, and I'm glad she didn't change him because what she did was cooler. Yeah. There's a note in the chorus. I'm like, can you? And, and I don't think she. You know, <laughs> so, you know, I think she loved it as it, it as, as it was, and and she was right. It was, it's great, and I, I was so excited. And Eva was on a Zoom, so we were all, and Devon was there. We were all listening, and it was fun.
0: Diane, and and your luck has not run out, and I don't see yeah. it running out. No, it's <laughs> not running out. out anytime soon. And I'm and I'm curious because you are somebody who has said. I'm an opportunist in the most positive way, and I I believe Richard is an opportunity. opportunity. And just talk me through that, because I feel like this film really centers around him, like you said, when he called the CEO and he was like, I'm taking this opportunity to tell you my idea.
5: Yeah, okay, being an opportunist in the right way, that means grabbing every opportunity. It might not come again, and it's there, it's up to you. If you lose that opportunity, it's your fault that you lost that opportunity. Yet if you take it, you grab it and you run with it, you never know what can happen. Beautiful things happen from that.
0: When you said that when you were younger growing up that you had saw a record and you had saw the name in parentheses yeah. and you wanted Gotham to be the King name. Yeah,
5: King um, up on the roof. And I saw that, I still remember. God. I wanna be in the parentheses. I don't wanna be the singer. Well, I'm good, because I, I suck. But, <laughs> but I don't wanna be the artist. But like, yeah, I wanna be that little, back in those days, kids, when,
0: <laughs> 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 Records are these things that, yes They're these round things <laughs> <laughs> But your name is no longer in parentheses Your name is a standalone name I by mean, I,
5: I don't know, but thank you
0: Fifteen Oscar nominations, seven consecutive years That is pretty years, cool An honorary Oscar Yeah,
5: that was awesome That yeah. was the best night of my life
0: You are that con- was co- continuing Cher Share? Share.
5: Share. I know Cher doesn't do a lot for a lot of people But she did that for me
0: With the fire inside
5: With the fire inside When you got the fire inside You want to hear a bit of it?
0: I want to hear a bit of it <laughs>
5: Want to hear a song really bad?
0: <laughs> I would to heard it sung really well.
5: If you want to hear a verse and chorus of, of, of the Fire Inside sung really badly, here you go.
4: Oh, oh, you got places to go. You're not going this slow. Oh, no, 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 no. They will tell you you're crazy. They will call you a fool. They will think they can stop you, but there's no stopping you. what you got inside you no way to put out that flame nothing can hold you back no one can kill your vibe
0: Coming up next, Mark's interview with Justine Trier.
1: For the Los Angeles Times and The Envelope, I'm Mark Olson, and I'm here today with Justine Trier, director and co-writer of the film Anatomy of a Fall. Justine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you to invite me. And now it's been not even quite a year so yet since Anatomy of a Fall first premiered at Cannes, and in that time you won the Pomodoro at Cannes. It has been nominated for eleven Cesar Awards, five Oscars, seven Baftas. You won two Golden Globes. What what has this year been like?
6: It was really really new for me. Everything was new. I I traveled a lot. I was always <laughs> in different countries and and I think it, it's really really amazing. What's yes, all, all the things for the movie, of course. And uh, now for me, it's not my movie. You know. It's not mine now. It's 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 uh, belongs belongs yes to to the others, you know. So yes, it's fantastic, of course. And now, why do you think audiences have responded
1: to Anatomy in the Fall in the way that they have? Like why 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 this movie?
6: I imagine now because one year after, it's you know the core of the movie. It's really the the, the reciprocity between women and men. And I think it's really the core of the movie, and it's so universal and so contemporary in a way because, of course, <laughs> we are obsessed by this really uh, simple question: just how we can live together and how we can just, you know, this thing is really important in my movie, and and I flip the the genre, the, genre, the woman and the man, and the code. And I think it's, you know, for the for the spectator, it's, it's a little, uh, uh, pro, it's a provocation for me, of course, to put that woman in that situation because all the time it's the man. That's why there's an investigation for a more suspicious death, because you were the only person there. And of course, you're his wife.
0: Stop. I did not kill him
3: that's not the point
1: but do you think when you were making the film in particular when you and Artur were writing the film you wrote it with your partner Artur Harari did you realize that you were exploring something so elemental that was going to like tap into something inside of people in such a like a just a really primal way
6: yes in a way you know sometimes we were when we wrote this movie we were in we were blind in a way because we had just some intuitions. It's like a painter, you know, but we knew that the core would be the, the the couple and all these things. But I think we didn't have all, you know, the 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 key the keys before. But yes, yes, of course. When I started, I was obsessed by this. I, I said to Arthur, "Okay, I want to to do another movie about the couples, but I want to do it." we really, we need to have the time to dive in all this uh, craziness you <laughs> and um, so I didn't know exactly all the things but of course I have I had some intuitions of course Now, the, the only thing that we were very very blind it was just because we didn't we, we didn't realize exactly that we were a couple <laughs> and we were doing just... A crazy script about couples, and the, so these things. I think this thing in particular, we were a little blind in a way because I think if we knew exactly, maybe we will, we would be so afraid of this, you know, because it was like just put their hands in a very very uh, um strange, weird uh, bath. I don't know. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, you, we have to live with our monsters after. It's not the end at the end, you know. So after we have, we dream about, we've made some nightmares. So sometimes I would like, why are we are doing this? Maybe we. Just, I just want to make a comedy again, you know, because I, I love so much to write comedies, you know, and I used to do it before. So sometimes I was afraid of, of this movie, you know, but at the end it was so beautiful. And now it's a fairy tale, of course, because it's, uh, we share, we share everything. So it's not our uh, uh, crazy baby, you know. <laughs> because your films
1: up until now, taken together, they're kind of in different genres. They're each in sort of in its own style. But the thing that I think does connect the films is that they're all essentially exploring just what it's like to be a woman in the modern world. And this does that sound right to you? Like for you, is that the thing that you think you've you've been exploring in your work? Like if you take it all together,
6: yes. And to show show in a way how women are complex and to not uh, reduce them to just one thing or another. You know, to just say, oh, it's so complicated to have babies or to have a work and to <laughs> and to just be in uh, in, in uh, just uh, to switch in wind on this place or this place. So. Yeah, of course, and uh, but it's it's always different. But I I need all the time to find a way to enjoy myself differently. And um, uh, you know the, the the famous sentence from François Truffaut in France, who said all the time, "Okay, I'm doing a movie against the previous one." You know, and for me, it's really uh, important for me this sentence because it's I feel very close to this. And uh, all the time when I'm finished something, I'm very, uh, I'm very tough with myself. <laughs> I'm very self, self, uh, sorry, uh, critic, criticize with myself. And um, and I want to just to dive in another, in another genre in a way to find something new. But of course the, the topics are similar, you know.
1: As I've heard you talking about the movie, I've always been so struck by when you're talking about Sandra Hula's character that you did not can want her next, to Mark's seduce with the G. other G. characters in the movie, or in some ways, the audience watching the movie. And I've heard you want, use this phrase that you did so not hard. want her to be yeah. a perfect victim. And can you talk a little bit more about that? Can and we have what, next Mark's interview. What do you mean by Justine that? G. And what you G. liked about having your your main character be wrong, in some ways so sure, remote sure. to yes, the sure. audience? Okay.
6: It's it's an obsession since a long time ago because my first short movie people said ah oh, your main character is not sympathetic you know <laughs> so it's it's a long it's long it's a long story for me but you know I, I grew up I grew up with all these men's uh, lead part and sometimes they were sympathetic sometimes not and I felt so close to them you know and I think. Um, Yes, for this, for this woman, it was really important to say, okay, she's not perfect. She's not a perfect mother. It's a paradox in a way because she's really ungraspable in a way, in the, the movie, but in the same way, she's playing like, you know, she's, she's playing this like, okay, I'm sincere. I'm just, you know, there is no filter between you, me and the, and you. And of course, because she's a storyteller and she's a writer, you can imagine that she can she could mat- manipulate you of course. And I'm, on camera. I'm sorry yes. too. To, okay. I'm sorry. But thank you know, for listening. you and You come here? Okay with
4: your mm-hmm. maybe your opinion, and you tell oh, sorry, me cool Yes, please. Because we're starting to was <laughs> <laughs> it to It's just. Uh, it is just. Thank you for listening and watching. Please subscribe wherever you listen situation. and watch your
0: podcast. We you will know, be back next week around the I mean, Oscars. sometimes,
4: sometimes
6: a couple. Thank you for listening and watching. Kind of please a subscribe chaos wherever you listen and lost. watch your podcast. No. We- you don't know if if she's. If she's just like you and me, or she or if she's really good in just uh telling stories, you know.
1: I've heard you talk as well about how you've grown increasingly to want a sense of imperfection and a sense of almost chaos in the in the mo- in your movies and from the performers. And can you talk a little bit more about, about that? What is it that you like about not trying to make the movies more perfect, but in some ways trying to bring out the imperfections in in the movie yeah
6: yeah um i think you know uh, when we we fa- found uh, no um, search for money <laughs> in France to to build all the things um it was the first time in my life that all the people were very very happy with the script i don't mean i don't speak about the cast but the the script was really uh, yes we were very happy with this so when i came on set. I was very afraid of this because I think when you are really good with a script, it could be very dangerous because after uh you just you know you're just you just do the things and uh, and it could be very cold at the end. It means to destroy a little the little music perfect music of course of, of all the um the lights and all the things with my DP and uh, and it was not so easy, you know, because sometimes my team was like, I don't understand. Why do you want some blurry, blurry things? Why, why, why do you want to not be, you know, to not do a perfect picture? <laughs> and I was like, because I think we have to find a charm, you know. And Sandra, Sandra was so special because she was so, yes, she was very, very involved. So I was like, okay, we have to find a way to, to. To create some accidents and to not create, but sometimes to to grab to grab all the accidents. And sometimes it was it was really, really something because sometimes I was like, okay, uh we we are going in editing, we are going to take the the most ugly takes. Sometimes it creates something, you know?
1: When you won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, you gave a speech in which you spoke about the uh Protests that have been happening in France at the time uh, against the Macron government. You talked about uh, the situation involving funding of films and cultural production, in particular for younger and emerging filmmakers. What made you want to give that speech? I mean, you really took that moment for the sort of like, you grabbed that platform. And and what made you want to make those comments at that moment?
6: Because I think, that when i started in the, in the in the business it was not the same world <laughs> it was much more easy for people like me i i did not do uh you know a uh, classical uh, school uh to make the that job i, I was really uh, yeah and i think my my speech was really for the youth, the young generation sorry and uh, and to say just please i had the privilege to just it uh, in a different world please uh, keep all these things for the for the for the young generation. It was very really important for me and after this you don't know but a lot of people say to me oh, thank you so much to to just uh, think about us and to not just uh, because all the story of friends is built on the idea of to not be uh, forced to just do a movie to just win money, you know but were
1: you were you surprised by the response to your speech because at least uh, from the news reports here in America there was very controversial. there was some amount of backlash against you. Some people even think that this is why Anatomy of a Fall was not selected to represent France at the, for the international feature at the Academy Awards.
6: Yes, it's really weird, and now people talks talked so so I think yes, of course it was a. Uh... It was uh, obviously a, uh, a backlash, how do you say? Yeah.
1: Yes, of course. you regret it? Or do you feel like you would no, say you would...
6: No, never. Because I think the most precious thing for me is to be free to talk. I'm an artist. I'm not a politician, you know. And if I cannot speak like this in a de- democracy, I don't know. It's not possible. It's my it's my power. It's my superpower. So I'm so happy. And I I, I cannot regret this. I was not super happy <laughs> of the answer of course because uh, I would have loved to to represent the France and uh but I think um it was it's not good for their image now because a lot of things comes out and a lot of people talks about it, talk about it and and of course a lot of american people uh criticize the french um uh, reaction so I think at the end um uh, It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a a happy end in a way. I don't know. We will see, we will see on the Oscar.
1: And now just the last thing I want to ask you, Justine, is you recently, it was announced that you'd signed with the American agency CAA. Yeah. And I'm so curious, what's next for you? I mean, do you, do you want to make a film fully in English with, you know, American actors or for you in particular, you know, signing with an American agency, what, what does that mean to you? What do you, what do you plan to do next?
6: I, I would love to work with, uh, yes, with um, American actors and maybe to mix with French actors. I don't know exactly. It, it depends of the, of the movie, but I would love, of course. And uh, uh, I did two movies with, uh, um, uh, in mixing, in mixing some lang- different languages. And I love so much to do this. And uh, yes, I would love, of, of course, to work with, uh, it's all my, a, a huge part of my cinephily, cinephily, I don't know how to say, uh, comes uh, from your country. So of course, it's a, it's a fairy tale for me in a way to just now to just have the capacity of, of meeting them and of course to maybe uh, can dream about a project with them, of course, yeah. But I'm sorry, I don't have the, now, right now, the the next project. <laughs>
1: I know we can't wait to find out what exactly will come next. So thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for listening and watching. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We will be back next week with more to come around the Oscars.